You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick. The style and profile and limousine riding, just flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, Ric Flair. Okay. Woo! And Matty Rose. You know, hindsight's 50-50. I think that may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> On Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour number two. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Um, at the bottom of the hour, David Pagnota, fourth period, had that tweet about Dan Vladar yesterday. Huh? Trade? Meh? He's also got some Connor Garland info that he tweeted Ooh. about yesterday. Hot Ooh. Connor Garland hot. talk. Hot. Oh, so hot. So hot. Um, you know what else is hot? Tom's House of Pizza. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ross Docker. Well... He's a good-looking man, but Tom sells the pizza super hot. Uh, Ross Tucker of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, CBS Sports' Westwood One Analyst, is brought to you by Tom's House of Pizza. Pizza made to perfection with locations in Calgary and Okotoks. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, we were just talking about uh, the Olympics wanting to put flag football in in 2028 and how ridiculous that would be if NFL superstars would be allowed to pull. They, they're apparently allowed to play. Could you imagine Tyreek Hill going up against Romania in a flag football game, Ross? Uh, That would be hilarious. It would be even worse than when it was like, remember when the uh, the dream team in basketball, um, (laughs) when they first were allowed to play and they were going up against countries you never heard of and they were just dominating them? Yep. That would be uh, that would be similar. You know, it's funny. Um, I actually have experience with this, believe it or not. Okay. When I played for the Patriots in 2006, the off season, it was so cool because they had already they had won three Super Bowls the previous like four or five years, right? Yeah. So they had we would get paid 500 bucks cash, okay? Yeah. To either play football, I'm sorry, to either play basketball. Yeah. Or flag football um, against like cops or teachers or whatever. So I think what would happen is they would advertise it as, you know, the cops are playing against um, the Patriots in basketball, come to the high school gym. So we would go to like the gym, it would be packed. I mean, packed. And I think the money would go to charity or whatever. Um, you know, the proceeds, but it would be packed high school gyms. Yep. And it was so funny because we would get out there and the fans would be like, where's Brady? Where, where's Rodney Harrison? And I'd be like, yeah, they're not coming for 500 bucks, dude. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you got me. But multiple times we would play flag football instead of basketball. Okay. And we had, like, Ellis Hobbs was our corner. And punt returner. They couldn't touch him. And Lawrence Maroney. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Sorry, there's no and, way they could touch a guy if he's a punt returner in the NFL. There's no way a cop is going to grab his flag, Ross. And there, we had Lawrence Maroney, too, who was our, our running back and kickoff returner. <laughs> yeah. And to watch, and some of the cops were like, or teachers were decently athletic. Yeah. To watch normal human beings try to get the flag from these guys mm-hmm. was hilarious. Yeah. Like 
you don't realize how fast these guys are until you see them against normal people. Right. It was like, I mean, I was crying. It was so funny at times and so enjoyable to watch. And I remember talking to some of the teachers. It was like, even when we play basketball, there'd always be one teacher that was pretty good, right? Like he played college basketball, and this was his time to show everybody how athletic he was. And so he would score a bunch of points or whatever, and maybe the game would be close. And then there'd be two minutes left, and our DBs, were so quick that they would just steal the ball from whoever had it and go in for a layup anytime they wanted. I mean, it was the craziest thing. I still have great memories of that. That was, I, I felt like I was a professional basketball player, 500 bucks a game. Not bad. Um, I always wanted this. This was my idea at the Olympics. You know how they have like in swimming or they have like in running, they have that line with the world record is. I want the line of the average person behind them. Like, have one dude is just an average dude they pull out of the crowd and let him run in the 100-meter final just to see how slow he is compared to the best athletes on the planet. I don't think people realize. They talk a lot of smack about, oh, you know, I could do this, I could do that. There's no chance when it's the best of the best how far superior they are to the average person athletically. You need like, a control it's not even group. The same, yeah, it's not even in the same stratosphere, yeah. Ross. Um. You're a thousand percent correct. People have no idea. It's like every once in a while I'll be out at like uh, when I was a player, I'd be out at a bar or at a party and somebody would want to um, like rush the passer against me. You know, they, they want to be like, what? and I'd be like, dude, I can do it one handed. I can actually, I can actually probably do it without any hands. Um, so uh, sometimes I would just do it one-handed. Sometimes I would no-hand it. They just had no idea what they were in for. Yeah. Because once you just like once I would just set them real quick and get my one hand in, they were done. It was over. Like they weren't going anywhere, and they would just like be flailing their arms, trying to knock my one hand off and not be able to get it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. They were trying to do the swim move on you and it wasn't working? No, not at all. <laughs> With it being Halloween, I'm just imagining some dude dressed like a construction worker goes and puts his hand in the dirt and Ross just pancake block. Like, yeah. Did you just push them into the mantle, Ross? Is that what you just did? Well, you know what's even funnier than that? And you guys can probably appreciate this. Like, when I'd be at a bar, like back in my hometown, yeah. when I was in the NFL, and like a guy would come up to me and he's like, "Hey Ross, uh, I'm 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 Dan Johnson. Um, I I went to Hamburg High School and played against you." I'm like, "Oh, hey Dan, how are you?" I actually went back and watched the game, and I, I actually did okay against you. <laughs> and, I, I never, I never knew how to respond to that. I'd always be like, "Wow, Dan, that is that is really cool, man. I'm happy for you. That's awesome." Like, right. how do you respond to that? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, a, that's 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 terrific. Hey, uh, I have a question. Yeah, the Bedard kid. Where yeah, is he from. He's he's Canadian. He's from uh, just outside of Vancouver, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Out on the west coast, there. Yeah. Did you think he was American? No, I knew he was Canadian. I, yeah. I thought he was Canadian. I just didn't know where in Canada. I didn't know he was out. 
I do a weekly spot with Vancouver guys, too, so I didn't know that. They've never mentioned him. I, what I think is crazy about hockey okay. is I feel like hockey's one of the only sports where you can be really good as a teenager and still be playing when you're, like, in your 40s. How is that possible? Well, it's well, generally they don't play in their forties because not anymore. Not anymore. Speed, but yeah, and it's like, mostly because the kids are too fast yeah, for them at that yeah, point. Yeah, it's but, it's 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 all about speed and, and edge work, Ross. That's what it is, elusiveness. And I right? think you just don't have the same physical toll that basketball Wait, has on the knees. Playing those forties. Yeah, but he was also yeah. He's still playing actually, Ross, in the Czech Republic or Czechia. Yeah, he's How old. Is he? Yeah, he. Oh no, he's he's fifty something. There's now. only one over forty player in the league this year. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's all about edge work anyway. and elusiveness. That's why they're able to like, do it, Ross. The, as teenagers, the big reason that guys' career gets cut short is either concussions or hips or sometimes knees. But a lot of hockey players, it's the hips that give out. Yeah. Or the back. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean edges? Edges as in like uh, left to right, east-west movement. The way that you can kind of balance on your blades to make sure you can turn quicker, sharper, things like that. Change direction. Yeah. The same way like when you put your foot in the ground and you're trying to pivot as a DB. I I just like, you don't really see in NBA, like how old is Bedard? 18. Yeah. But there's also... You don't see any 18-year-olds in the NFL... No. You don't see any 18-year-old, I don't think, in Major League Baseball. Though there's every once in a while some 20, 21-year-olds. And you don't see any 18-year-olds in the NBA, really. It's just really impressive. Yeah. I also think it's the difference between, you know, college being the big kind of pool of prospects versus junior hockey up here in Canada, where when you finish junior hockey, you don't necessarily go into university up here. You don't go into college down south. Like the next step after finishing junior hockey in Canada is going to the NHL or the American Hockey League, which is their development league, or you just stop playing hockey yeah. professionally. Those are kind of like, the options. Ross, he's 18 years old. If he went and played Division One hockey right now in the States, they would not have an answer for him. He would score at will against those kids. He would destroy them right Every now. team. Yeah. yeah. And what makes him so good? Uh, his his the way he shoots the puck, it's it's how it's again it's a his elusiveness. He's very elusive, and the way he can turn his body and shoot the puck from different angles mm-hmm. is is something that is just God given talent. Like you know who Austin Matthews is, obviously big American player. You know Toronto Maple Leaf, one of the superstars in the NHL. His ability to shoot the puck is he's probably the best goal scorer right now in the NHL. That's what Connor Bedard can do. He he's an incredibly skilled guy, and he can shoot the puck from all these different weird angles that goaltenders just aren't used to seeing. And he has an absolute laser beam of a shot. And he's only 18 years old, and he's only going to get stronger and faster too. And I think the other thing for me that sets guys apart at this age, George, is their hockey sense. Like, yeah, you'll watch Bedard, and it's behind the back, no look passes that are just tape to tape to his teammates. And a lot of guys just when they're on the ice, it's happening so fast that they can't process the game and understand where their teammates are. That's where the God-given talent comes in for guys like Connor Bedard and Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid and Jack Hughes, all of those superstars. That's what they have that sets them apart. Yeah, it's just so interesting that, like, in hockey, 
Yeah. They've been talking about Bedard for years, right? Like in hockey, yeah. whether it's Crosby or whoever, they know when they're like 15, 16. Like Ross, they know these, when they're 12. These guys are going to be like Ross, stars. when they're 12, they know. Here, here's a quick story. So you know Mario Lemieux, right? You know yeah. who Mario Lemieux is, of Not course. Not personally, but I'm familiar with him. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Mario Lemieux, when he was drafted number one overall by the Penguins in the mid-'80s, he couldn't bench press 150 pounds. He was so good at hockey, Ross, growing up in Montreal, that people, when he was like 11, 12 years old at the outdoor rinks in Montreal, would come to watch this kid play out on the outdoor rinks because he was that good at 11 and 12. Wow. Yeah. He scored almost yeah, that, 300 I feel like you points. You hear that really about other sports that no. much. Hockey's a little bit different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He he scored almost 300 points in his last season of junior hockey. Yeah. That's how good he was. Like we've been hearing about Connor Bedard for probably 3 or 4 years up here in Canada while yeah. he was playing junior hockey but as like, a teenager. They really know. Like they know um, I remember Lindros. Yeah. It's like they know that these guys are going to be stars really, really early. Yeah, because they dominate every single level of hockey they play. They usually end up getting put like two or three age levels above where they should be and still dominating at that level. And that's when agents start to call the family and say, hey, you have anybody who might be handling the business of your family? I can't talk to your child because he hasn't been drafted yet. But hypothetically, if you needed someone to, I don't know, talk to him about stuff, like we could maybe do it. That's usually where that starts. Got it. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Ross Tucker, Ross Tucker Football Podcast, CBS Sports and Westwood One, joining us here on the Tom's House of Pizza guest line. Um, Jags and Saints tonight, Ross. uh, Ask this question as Charles Davis. I want to get your opinion, too. When I watch the Jags play, I think, what if they would have drafted Aiden Hutchinson instead? Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I've thought about that as well. They went for the upside. They went went for uh, let's be honest, like the longer arms and and maybe more talent and and they they didn't get as good of a player and it's um, it's a big big negative for them. I mean, Trayvon Walker's okay, yeah, but he he's not trending to the point where you you think that he'll be what obviously Aiden Hutchinson already is. Like I, I don't know, Aiden Hutchinson will still get better. And I don't know if Trayvon Walker will ever even be what Aiden Hutchinson is now. Well, um, what's your read on the Jags? Like, is are they a playoff team? Can they do some damage? They have some impressive wins, and then they have some losses where you shake your head at the Jags. What's your read on them this season? Yeah, no, I think they're going to win that division. I think they're playing their best ball right now, you know, having won three games in a row. I think they'll win that division, and I think they've got a chance to go on a run. I really do. I mean, right now I think the Dolphins are probably the best team in the AFC, but I can see the Ravens going on a run. I can see the Chiefs obviously going on a run. We'll see if the Bengals can get back in the mix. The Bills are obviously talented enough to go on a run, and I think Jacksonville kind of proved last year that they could win several games in the playoffs and maybe get to a conference championship game or further. 
As a former O-lineman, what was your reaction to Justin Pugh getting off the couch, getting with the Giants, maybe their best O-lineman in that game, and then getting signed? What was your reaction to seeing a guy get a get a chance to come off the couch? Wow. Um, my my first reaction was when when the left tackle got hurt, and because I, I called that game Sunday night up in Buffalo. Yep. And he had to move. To uh, he had to move the left tackle. I thought this is not what he thought he was signing up for. <laughs> I mean, you know, to come off the couch, yeah. And next thing you know, you're playing left tackle for the Giants in Buffalo <laughs> Sunday night football. That's a lot different than your couch, bro. That is a lot different yeah. than your couch. I also wanted to ask what your reaction was when that Caleb Williams story surfaced that he wanted part ownership of the team that drafted him. The NFL has pretty much kiboshed this, but just what your thought was when you might have read that. Uh, My thought is that his representatives or whoever said that to him, they're not helping him. Yeah. Because, you know, these teams are considering everything when they take these quarterbacks high in the draft. And there's other good quarterbacks. Now, I still think Caleb Williams will end up going number one, but I wouldn't give him any reason to take Drake May or somebody else number one over you, right? Like, and, and when you start saying silly stuff like that, which, by the way, isn't even legal, yeah. then you start to get into a situation where teams might be like, are, are we sure this is the guy we want to hitch our wagon to? Are we sure about that? Um, speaking of hitching your wagon to, what are you expecting out of Kyler Murray this season? Because he's been uh, activated from IR now. I really don't know. It's a good question. I think first and foremost, I'm curious to see when he's actually back out there. It's not going to be this week. So we'll see when he actually gets out there. Um, but the, the Cardinals have been doing pretty good, and Josh Dobbs has been doing pretty good. So if Kyler doesn't come out and play well, I don't think that bodes real well for him moving forward. How much faith do you think the guys on that team have in him? Well, I mean, I had Kelvin Beecham, you know, they're one of their offensive linemen on my show, the Ross Tucker podcast this offseason. He basically said that, in so many words that Kyler Murray kind of has to grow up. So, um, I, I, and look, I've heard enough things about him, you know, in fairness, guys, he's kind of like the Bedard or these guys we've been talking about. I mean, to be the best player in the state of Texas for three years, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, never lose a game, three straight state championships, you're also the best baseball player. I mean, I just think he's always been good. Everything's yeah. always – he's so fast. Everything's always – he might be the best flag football quarterback. I mean, everything's always come so easily for him. I don't think he's ever had to put this kind of time in. You know, I think you just can't get by just on ability at this level. Um, Ross was, was – I don't know, exposed is a tough word to use, but was Brock Purdy exposed with the injuries on the Niners on that game Sunday against Cleveland with, with Debo going down and CMC going down? Cause that Cleveland defense is really good. Statistically the second best in the NFL. Was he exposed a little bit or was that more on the Browns defense? How well they played in that win? 
I don't think he was exposed. Okay. I think in the first half he played pretty well. I think the injuries hurt. I mean, they had like penalties, got behind the chains in the second half, and the Browns' defense is really, really good. I, I still think I'm, I'm, I still think Purdy's as good as I have the whole time. Uh, I got two questions on the Phillies game. A, it looked like a real hobnob celebrity affair. How was it? And B, was that actually a picture of the Diamondbacks fan section? Because boy, did they look glum. It was a picture of the Diamondbacks, I guess, like friends and family section. And yeah, they were straight up not having a good time. (laughs) Um, There's no question about that. And uh, it was funny. It was hilarious. It was a great game. It was cool to see uh, Dan Orlovsky, who I'm friends with. His wife's from the Philadelphia area, so he's kind of uh, bought in a little bit. Too. It was great. It was a great environment. Really cool. I loved it. Oh, damn. I, I, I said this yesterday. Got to ask you really quickly about this. Uh, your expectations for Julio Jones with the Eagles? Uh, I, I think he's primarily there for like injury insurance would be my guess. I, I don't okay. have, I don't think, I mean, I you know, they, 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 they have AJ Brown, they have Devonte Smith, they have Dallas guy. I don't think he's going to really get the ball very much unless there's an injury. Ross Tucker, the Ross Tucker football podcast, CBS sports and Westwood one uh, Ross. You're welcome for the hockey talk. Let's do this again next week. I love it. I love learning stuff. Thank you guys. See ya. Uh, there he is. Ross Tucker on the Tom's house of pizza guest line brought to you by Tom's house of pizza. Pizza made to perfection with locations in Calgary and Okotoks. Love it. Great chat. Always is. Yeah. Told us about flag football, how he dominated. Flipped the interview Again. on us, hey? No, it's good. I, I like Yeah, it. no, I like just, it. It's just fun. so you like, I uh, I played in a uh, a charity uh, tournament for Alzheimer's uh, when I was at the other station in Toronto. Flag football? No, was that... it, was a, it was a hockey tournament. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I played with Brad Boyce. He was on my oh, way. Oh, I see. And he literally yeah. just said, just skate to the net with your stick on the ice. I'm like, okay, it goes, I'll find you. That's all he did. Yep. Like he'd be across the rink, like I don't know, like the other blue line, and the puck would just find me on my blade every time. Athletes. Yeah. And I go, how hard are you trying right now? He's like one percent. Yeah. Like the <laughs> half minimum. a yeah. percent. Like you don't even know, minimums. like how good these I guys just passed are. Passed it. <laughs> uh, David Panyota, Dan Vladar deal. Ah. Uh? Connor Garland deal. Ah. Uh? Yeah. Shane Pinto deal. Ah. Uh? What do you have to do to get a Shane Pinto deal done? Matthew yeah. Joseph. Yeah, thank you. That's I'm just gonna. That's all I'm gonna ask no, questions that's from really now good. on this show. No, great. So David, Dave Ladar, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Steven Stamkos, yeah, eh? you would be like, yeah, and yeah, what do you? I don't know. Brett Pesci, Brady Shea. <laughs> yeah. All right, David Panyota next. It's a real fun game. Yeah, <laughs> David Panyota next. It's a big show. Russell and Rose Sports at nine sixty. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's a Calgary Flames game day, brought to you by Country Hills Toyota. Pre-game with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers is at 4 p.m. Puck drop with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson goes at 5. Well, not really 5, but just after 5. 5.07. 5.08, maybe. At the top of the hour, um, Kelly Rudy, Sportsnet and Hockey Night Canada analyst for the first time on the big show. Looking forward to talking to Mr. Rudy at the top of the hour. But always uh, fun to talk to our next guest. From the fourth period, editor-in-chief of the fourth period, you also hear him on Sirius XM NHL Radio. We say good morning on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to our pal David Panyota. David, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you guys this fine morning? We're, we're great. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, how much traffic do you get from a tweet that you mentioned Dan Vladar 
that it's from the Calgary area? <laughs> like, what what's the analytics like on the fourth period website when you tweet something like yeah. that, David? It spikes a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, that anything Flames related, yeah, tends to uh, him, Lindholm, Hannafin, mm. you know, the usual suspects. But um, yeah, you know, we 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 got word earlier this week um, that uh, talking to some people around the league that that his name is out there again as. Uh, the Flames are looking at a variety of different options here with respect to clearing out some cap space, um, but also giving them a little bit more flexibility with respect to their goaltending position and looking to see what you know Dustin Wolf can can ultimately do on a, on a maybe on a more consistent basis. Don't know definitively what the the active plan there is if they do move out Ladar, but um, you know he he is very much available. They tried exploring this possibility in the summer. Uh, and, and around draft, obviously didn't get anywhere. He's still here, but um, his name's out there again. It's a guy who was traded for a third-round pick. Uh, he signed at $2.2 million. We had Eric Francis on yesterday. He mentioned that I think the Flames would, would like to get a second out of him if, if they're going to move him. Any idea on what cost might be or, or maybe a few teams who might be in the mix here? Well, I, I suspect, yeah, I suspect that that, um, that price tag is... is the asking price and, and I, and I don't know definitively what they were asking for in the summer, but talking to some teams that were involved in those discussions, they said that it was a little bit too high and nobody was, or they weren't willing to budge really um, on the price. Now, whether that changes now, whether the ask is still, you know, high or a second round pick, and maybe they'll, they'll drop that down a little bit. Um, obviously we'll have to wait and see. And that's up to Craig Conroy and the staff. Um, but you know, you're, you're obviously looking at teams that may have some, some either cap flexibility or a potential need in net. Now, you know, we're what three, four games into the season, depending on what team you are. I still think it's a little bit um, maybe, maybe premature to, for, for some of these teams to you know press any panic buttons with respect to their goaltending. Um, like for example, Los Angeles, you know, with, with Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot, first couple of games weren't that steady. Yeah. Talbot comes out and plays a gem. Um, against Winnipeg. They've got Minnesota tonight, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I think this is more of a due diligence situation for Calgary in terms of seeing what's out there, see what the potential options would be, and who's willing to pay uh, a decent enough price. The other aspect here is, of course, the $2.2 million cap hit, which, mm-hmm. grand scheme of things, not huge, but not a lot of teams have that type of space to play with. And, and other teams are looking at some goaltending uh, flexibility. I wonder about Philadelphia, to be honest with you. They've got a log jam in net, but um, they, there is some chatter that Carter Hart's name may start coming up again, uh, as that was something they explored in the summer too. So little goalie juggling this season might be a possibility. Yeah, you mentioned due diligence, and it does seem like that. So that would kind of assume almost that this hasn't you know, jumped to the forefront for the Flames as far as front office to-do list. Obviously, they've got quite a bit of other things they're probably looking at at the same time. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I still think that, you know, Elias Lindholm extension, probably number one on that list, um, you know, and then, and then having a, an idea as to what some of their other guys that are on expiring deals may look at like a Chris Tanev and uh, can they convince Noah Hannafin or Nikita Zadorov to, to look at extensions and, and things like that. Still don't get that sense for those two guys particularly. Um, but you know, you want to, you want to lay out your options. Some of these, some of the moves that take place, uh, over the course of a season and off season, some of these can take 24 hours and some of these can take, you know, 24 weeks. 
Um, de- just depends on on teams and what their situations are, uh, not just financially, but but roster wise, path wise, and so on. So to get ahead of this now, uh, after effectively taking him off the trade market towards the end of summer, um, putting him back on, or at least making teams know that he is available, you know, to a certain extent, gets a little bit of work done in terms of finding out what your options are and could be down the road. Zadorov's fascinating to me. It's a, it's a guy we just don't talk about here enough, maybe, in Calgary. How is he perceived around the league, David? Look, the sturdy, sturdy type of guy on that, on that back end. Um, you know, not going to be your top pair kind of, kind of blue liner, but, but certainly somebody that um, is, is considered, you know, reliable on, on, on that. And, you know, with, with, with the depth that, that they have on, on the back end. Um, you know, if this is, this is a player that certainly has the size that kind of accompanies his game. Um, and I, I think from Calgary's perspective, you want to kind of see obviously how the season plays out before you make any, any type of decisions. And, and I think some of the players on the team, um, you know, want to see how this team performs this season before making their future plans. Uh, but, you know, this is a player that some teams you know, are going to look at, and as as that big body type of presence that can stabilize either a second or third pair on, on that back end. It's going to be interesting to watch this Flames team one one and one. Now they're heading into Buffalo for a big game tonight. I wanted to ask you about the Vancouver Canucks as well. Uh, Rick Tockett laying into his team after they got shelled on the road after two great games against the Oilers. What did you make of the light switch getting flipped for Tockett after the most recent setback for the Canucks? Well, based on their last couple of seasons, I I applaud it. I, I don't blame them at all because, you know, you get off to um, a good start and then you, you take your foot off the gas and things can kind of go south real quick in this league. You don't want to dig yourself a hole. And based on how this team performed the last couple of seasons, having to climb out of something towards the second half and down the stretch, it, it just proved to be too difficult of a task and, and the hole was too big to climb out of. So, okay, great, we won two. But you played like, you know what, the other night. Let's hmm. let's not make this a habit. Let's kind of nip this in the butt right away. So I don't have I don't have any issue with that. I think it's just a reminder because the bulk of this this team um, is is still intact and has been for the last couple of years. So let's not fall back into past routines. We got off to a good start. That's great. We want to continue this momentum. If you want to be a good team in this league and a great team, you know, pedal to the metal. 80 out of out of 82 games. I'll give you a buy on two of them. But you've got to be rolling the whole way out. So I, I think from Vancouver's perspective and where their mindset is as, as, as a team, um, this is let's, – let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but at the same time, let's not get too comfortable. What's the latest on Connor Garland? A lot of talk. A lot of talk this week. A lot of it has picked up with respect to him. And, um, you know, a lot of teams are looking at options. You know, we, I, I think, you know, Winnipeg was part of this. They've kind of fallen out a little bit. Um, Nashville was part of this uh, pretty aggressively. Uh, and then we see there's an injury to Luke Shen for the next what, six weeks or so. Um, that might put a bit of a wrinkle in their plans. Columbus very much involved in this. Washington very much involved. Um, but from what I've been hearing now, uh, yesterday and, and even this morning, is that we may see this evolve into a three-team type of type of move if this, if this does happen relatively quickly. And you look at teams with cap space and you look at teams that have flexibility in, in terms of taking on a contract, not necessarily retaining on a contract, but taking on 
uh, an extra body. So you look at some of the usual suspects there, Anaheim, San Jose, Montreal. Um, I believe there's been some discussions with some of those clubs. I think a team like Philadelphia might get in the mix. Um, there are going to be some teams that are going to try to be that third-party conduit, but again, not necessarily as a retaining team on the dollars, but more so on, on the body to kind of offset. Vancouver is willing to retain money on this deal. Not a big chunk, but a decent enough chunk, anywhere from 20 to 30%. Uh, of, of Garland's contract. So can they make the rest of the money work? Um, but, but I mean, we'll obviously wait and see, but I can tell you that certainly things have been a lot more aggressive this week. I expect that to continue and carry out today. As we have this discussion, where does the Oliver Ekman Larson to Anaheim or to Arizona trade kind of rank as far as uh swing and a miss over the last few years? Uh, <laughs> well, put it this way. As soon as Jim Rutherford came in, um, one of his, we talked about to-do lists. Well, at the top of his was to get rid of both of those guys, both Oliver Ekman Larson and, and Connor Garland. Um, they, he was certainly not a fan of, of the acquisition and that was made by the previous regime. And he made it a priority to try to find any way, uh, a, a way to move him, which is why Connor Garland's name has been out since well, almost a year and a half, almost 18, 19 months since Rutherford took over. Um, he's been trying to find a new home for the guy. And there's a little bit of a misconception out there, at least on social media, I've been seeing that he's requested a trade. Connor Garland has actually never requested a trade. Hmm. Um, this is, this is the, 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 the Vancouver Canucks that have been wanting to, to move him. And I give him full credit, both publicly and in that room. He could be sulking. He could be miserable. He could, that's just not the type of guy he is. Um, he's just waiting for this thing to, to kind of, well, I guess happen. And when it happens, it happens. His mindset is going out there and just playing and, and trying to be um, as normal as he can without this big cloud over his head. So this is, this is the Canucks that have wanted to move him. And sometimes the player doesn't fit your system, doesn't fit your direction. And that's all well and good. Uh, just that kind of came out a little bit sooner. So that's why we've been hearing his name for the last year and a half. And, and hopefully for his sake, that this does come to a, some type of finality sooner rather than later. David Pagnota, editor-in-chief at the fourth period. Uh, you also hear him on Sirius XM NHL Radio joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Big show, Russick and Rose. Um, the Ottawa Senators keep winning. Does that give a little less leverage to Shane Pinto? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> the answer is no, George. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they know where their position is at. This is something that could have been. This is a self-inflicted type of wound from Ottawa's perspective. So Pinto and his camp, they know, um, they know where they stand. They know where their positioning is. Um, this could have been resolved, you know, a month or so ago, more. Um, but they, they just, they, Ottawa chose to go in a different direction. And, and I guess they miscalculated. That'd probably be the best way to put it. Um, their negotiation tactics with respect to, to getting Pinto signed. So that's, I mean, that's where they stand right now without him, And they've got to look at other ways to clear room, whether it's Joseph or Brandstrom or Arden Zub or whomever, um, they've they've got to clear out that space to make this happen because he's not gonna he's not taking a million bucks or a million and a half. How much of an urgency does Ottawa have here? Because you know it it seemed like it was urgent, but it felt like it's been urgent for like two weeks now. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you keep winning six uh, one like they did <laughs> last night, and and. Mm. You, you know, from your perspective, you can say, all right, well, let's just see if he does come to us and change his mind. 
Um, I, I don't see that being the case anytime soon. But from from their perspective, now with Josh Norris back in the lineup, and he got what two goals last night, so um, your that sense of urgency is alleviated. Now, granted, it is one game, but if this trend continues, if they continue to play decently, and they've been at home, so let's see how they do on the road. But um, for now, it's kind of wait and see mode, and, and see if prices do drop a little bit elsewhere um, uh, in terms of having to take on a contract, whether it's you know one of the guys I mentioned. But they could have resolved this a couple of weeks ago or just before the season. I believe there was a deal, in, or at least on the table with Philadelphia, to take Matthew Joseph, um, and, and the, the, the sweetener was Tyler Boucher, but Ottawa doesn't want to part with him, um, not right now anyway. So they, they've got to continue and just kind of wait to see how this all plays out and how they continue to perform. David, how bad are the Washington Capitals? uh the slow um (laughs) is that good in today's game i I feel like that's not a winning formula not particularly no you can get away with one or two guys um as as you know they can ride a ride a line and and if they're a finisher plant yourself in the corner plant yourself in front of the net and and there you go but um and that which is probably why they're um so in the mix with respect to Connor garland who does bring a little bit of speed to his game and the last two seasons for him have been his best years offensively, and they're still looking for a top six uh, forward to, to join that group. Um, it's complicated because they don't have cap space. They'll effectively have to move Anthony Mantis somewhere, if not, and I don't get the sense, actually, that it is Vancouver um, that they want him. Uh, but th- this is a team that, again, a few, se- few games into the season, so you don't want to press any panic buttons by any stretch. Um, but it's a little bit concerning with respect to how they've played the last little bit. Now, yeah, they, they won a game and, and all that. It's not, you know, dire straits right now uh, for, for the Caps. But, um, you know, at one and two, I think they have, what, four or five goals they've scored in those three games. That's not ideal. Uh, they need to be a little bit more aggressive, and, and I can see something happening sooner rather than later from a roster perspective if, if they can't get their act together in the next little bit. The Carolina Hurricanes are a fascinating team. They've got three elite forwards signed for long-term deals. If you want to throw Kakanami in there as an elite forward, I guess. But I'm interested about the blue line. They've got seven defensemen, four of them UFAs, including Shea, Pesci, D'Angelo, Orlov, and Slavin signed for two more years. Burns as well. Is there any way that Carolina makes a move on their blue line in season here? Because obviously this is a team that's trying to they got big aspirations this year. They do. Um, and, and I don't get that sense right now um, that, that that's the game plan. I, I could tell you, at least with Brett Pesci, contract talks have gotten nowhere on, on an extension. Um, but there's been zero indication, and, and talking to some people in Carolina, there, there's no sense that they have any desire to move anybody, him, Shea, somebody else. Um, they want to ride this team, and the better they do, the, the maybe that changes some guys' minds in terms of their contract demands. Um, but this is a team, like you said, they're built to contend, and let's just ride this season and see and see what happens. That seems to be the mentality with with the Hurricanes right now. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with their goaltending uh, situation. Injury to, to Freddie Anderson. Um, they called up the kid whose name I always mess up, so I'm not even going to say it. Um, Peter something or other. Uh, so uh, we'll see how that, you know, that works out for them. But uh, in terms of, of the current roster, 
especially on that back end. Uh, I think they're going to ride their top guys um, that are on the expiring deals. And if they can get to a point where uh, they, they reach an extension in season or, or after the fact, they'll, they'll take those, those chances. Uh, the NHL has been asking teams for their opinions on a decentralized draft. Uh, personally, I absolutely hate the idea. What have you heard on it? Where do you land on it? Yeah, I, I don't like it either um, because it's, it's, I mean, it, it'll affect part of my job uh, <laughs> over draft weekend. Uh, the phone bill will probably rack up a little, but um, it, it's a unique situation because, you know, everybody's there and it's not just the draft floor. Um, that you get to see it's it's everybody is in the city and they're having conversations with these kids face to face and they're having conversations one-on-one with each other to try to make moves now granted yeah we haven't seen any big trades uh, especially on day one of the draft in the last little while here Um, but the excitement level from that perspective would certainly be taken away a little bit if you do have guys in their own little bunkers uh, you know, in, in, in their own arenas and, and, and cities. So it, I understand some of the reasoning behind it uh, to maybe it, they feel it makes things a little bit easier to make moves um, when, you know, people aren't watching you completely. Well, fine. Have a little booth at your table where it's enclosed or so, I don't know, something. But, um, you know, there's the cost element associated with it. Like, this isn't going to happen for this year's draft. Um, at the earliest, it would be, it would be 25, um, maybe maybe 26, but uh, it, it certainly sounds like it may be trending in that direction. Um, but it, it just it's it's so unique compared to the other sports now because they're still at the table. You still see everybody together. Um, would certainly be a little bit different. I do think that you know in, in NBA and and in and NFL they've got like the, the tables with the families and the top kids in the back and whatnot. They might use that as on the floor now to to offset the fact that um you know there's no teams rather than having the kids in the stands so it there's some ways of doing it that can look good optically and and be good for broadcast um but all the other elements get taken away if if it does go in this direction and i suspect it eventually will i just want to know how we went from bill Guerin saying this at the last draft uh also a great thank you to uh the city of nashville uh especially Especially Tootsies. Like, how do we go from that to this? Unbelievable. <laughs> Ridiculous. I know. I know. And with the likelihood that it's in Vegas in the summer, yeah. um, there could be a few other spots that guys will be able to thank. So it's, it's unfortunate um, that it is going in this direction because, it, it, yeah, it's entertaining. It's fun. It's, it, it adds a different element and separates the NHL from some of the other sports with some of the items that they're doing even more. Um, which is never a you know a bad thing when it's this positive. Um, David Panyota, editor in chief at the fourth period. You also hear him on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Uh, David, keep those Flames tweets going for us. Uh, thanks for this, pal. <laughs> All right, take care, boys. There he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Straight ahead, Kelly Rudy. Yes, sir. Sportsnet analyst, Hockey Night in Canada. Straight ahead from Western New York, ahead of the Flames and Sabers tonight, right here on Sportsnet 960. We'll do that next. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan.